0: Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode, your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from, and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe.
1: Welcome, everybody, to a live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. Thank you for joining us, as always. Uh, So, if you're concerned after last night, you're not alone. I have Paul Manafort here to talk a little bit about it, as well as his new book, uh, Political Prisoner. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. I I have a tweet that's going highly viral from last night, and uh, we'll certainly talk about that, too. I am perplexed as to how we've gotten here as a nation truly. Um, Anyways, before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor for today's show, and that is careerhackers.com. If you are in the position of looking for a different job, different field, or simply were treated like crap over the past two years because they tried to force something into your body, or you just want to get more money, there's lots of reasons to do it. Now's the time. Well, the uh, employment numbers are still low because they look like they're starting to tick up. Do not wait another moment. It is completely free. Go to careerhackers.com and sign up for the Daily Job Hunt. It'll give you a little bit of tips and information on how to stand apart in the crowd and make sure that you can get that job of your dreams. Without further ado, the man of the hour, Mr. Paul Manafort. Welcome in.
2: Thank you, Clint. Good to talk to you today.
1: Absolutely. Well, you've had quite the adventure. I mean, as adventurous as our nation's past couple of years have been, I think you've had an even more adventurous one. So uh, welcome to the free world, sir.
2: It's good to be in the free world. The <laughs> last night I'm starting to wonder about things.
1: Yeah, I know. Are, are we in the free world? That's a good question. So that's what I wanted to start uh, start off with is, did you get a chance to to watch Biden's unifying speech that made me feel as if I was at a Nazi march?
2: <laughs> I, I mean, and he believes as long as you are willing to step toe to anything he wants and that the woke left wants, the country's unified. Yeah, exactly. He believes in the Constitution if you believe in your bill of rights if you believe that you have a right as an american citizen to have your own opinion which could be in a disagreement with the government then you are uh, a fascist and you uh, you need to be destroyed that's yeah. the biden world that that was the biden speech last night
1: uh, truly stunning uh you know you, you've you've got to witness it firsthand but the the framing of donald trump's speeches throughout his presidency where they would you know parse words out of context and you you have the uh the charlottesville march the good people on both sides even though he goes on to condemn condemn all of the white nationalists that were present and it's just it's just astonishing that then you have this speech which the first i'd say 15 minutes of it was the most overtly fascistic rant i have ever imagined a a united states president leveling maybe, maybe since the 1800s or something um Anyways, what, what, what did you think about it? What did, what did I, you have the take away?
2: Give him where credit, credit where credit is due. They set it up like they wanted to set it up. This was a, a dictator you know, c- you know, commanding the you know, res- res- the uh, support of the country and calling all of his enemies, uh, all, of his, all of his, those who disagree with him, his enemies, and having the military behind him to let him know, we're coming after you. I mean, yeah. it was the most anti-American speech in my lifetime. And I suspect there's never been a president who's ever given such a... Uh, a sedacious speech. I mean, yeah. if Donald Trump had given that speech, even not as president, if he gives that speech today, <laughs> uh, they would come down on him as the greatest threat to democracy since the last thing Donald Trump did. I mean, <laughs> it, it, that's how outrageous it was. And, and the fact that the media could sit there and kowtow to what he said last night is a, a condemnation of the media. But it's also... is. It, Points to the fact that's why the media has no credibility in America with the American people today. That's why that's they now in some polls are ranking below the Congress in credibility and approval. <laughs> uh, and and until they take on their job as steward of the Bill of Rights and the right to free speech and the, to call out our you know what, where things are going astray, then they don't deserve to be listened to or, or paid attention to. Um, but it was it was extraordinary last night and. Uh, But it's also very consistent with the whole first year of his administration uh, where they have continued to attack the uh, constitutional rights. And when I wrote this book, uh, I finished it in December. So I got the full year, one full year of the Biden administration in the book, which is one of the reasons I wrote the book, because my story, I thought I wanted to get the real story out there, but more important than my story to me in this book was warning the American people that don't feel sorry for me be vigilant because they're coming after you next. In the, in the course of last year, we saw parents at school board meetings being called domestic terrorists. We saw uh, victims of crimes being the bad people. We saw you know, people who, uh, who you know, were, were, uh, were trying to protect themselves on the border as being wrong. Uh, demonstrators on Capitol Hill, not those who committed crimes, but who were going to have to express their free rights, being put in jail with no habeas corpus, no right to see the attorney for over one year. Are you kidding me? And and so that was last year. This year we've had the disinformation bureau, where in, where if you dare to say that you disagree with the Homeland Security definition of what's American, under this bureau they could censor you and designate you a domestic terrorist. Fortunately that got blown away, but it signaled this speech last night because right. it's direct in line with the speech last night. And we now have eighty seven thousand armed IRS agents. Coming out to Red America to t- t- take our check taxes, send you to jail, just like right. they did under Obama with conservative uh, foundations that uh, the IRS was targeting. It's the same game. So yeah. last night was not standing by itself in isolation. It's part of the belief by this this Democratic administration that they have the right to do anything they want in pursuit of their you know unfettered question. For power, and and it's a very dangerous thing. I think the American people are going to react very negatively to it, and and you know, it's it's all the more reason why in my book, you know, I say it's important to be vigilant and to make sure we win these elections. It's all the more reason we have to turn out in November, in November, and and bring it, you know, recapture our government, and end this uh, this Stalinistic government that uh, is represented by the Democratic Party.
1: Yeah, well. And uh, just to add to your case there, you also have the pandemic of the unvaccinated, which is now demonstrably false. But they were dividing us very uh, starkly along whatever battle line they drew. You know, Basically, whatever their narrative was, if you opposed it, well, then you're a fascist. And, and I mean, it's just unbelievable. James Lindsay always says it's the iron law of woke projection, where whatever they accuse you of, they're in fact doing uh, I think that was also the case with the quote unquote Russian collusion uh case against you know the trump administration at least that's been my you know my findings after many years of following the story I would like to to dive into that a little bit, but before we do, I wanted to ask you um you had said that sorry, where's this quote oh, gosh oh darn it i was i was reading your book uh so i i had i had a quote to ask you, but basically you were saying that um you know you fear that the kind of the foundation of our nation is crumbling and i i tend to agree um is it is it actually recoverable via elections you said that the midterm elections become the most important thing uh you know i would like to believe that i'm concerned that the corruption is not just so deep but in in large part bipartisan that we have really bad actors on both sides of the aisle and i just don't know that it's reformable do you believe that it is
2: i do in the end, I, I do have a positive feeling about the future, and I, I give some of the reasons why. Principally, I have found in 50 years in politics that the American people always get it in the end. I mean, there may be blips, and, you know, that Jimmy Carter gets elected, they fixed it. Uh, you, know, the, you know, the the Obama administration was veering dangerously into a Davos kind of world. Trump came along. Uh, I think today the American people see that the mistake they made last uh, November of 2020 in electing Biden, and so, and I think they see already the failures of this administration and why it's a danger to their rights, in uh, in the, the evidence of some of the stuff I mentioned a minute ago, the school boards, that the woke district attorneys, the uh, the IRS, you know, the border, the you know, the, the inflation, the economic problems. I mean, when, when, when Biden gets up and says, we have zero inflation in July, zero, the American people look at him and say, he's lying through his teeth. <laughs> I, I'm sitting at my dining room table. I know when I go out today, I'm going to have to pay more for gas than I ever have. I've got to pay more for groceries. And you know, I can't get certain items I want because of the supply chain. They know all of that. So when Biden tries to deflect, with there's a civil war as if he's not creating it, uh, and, and that uh, that January 6th is the biggest threat to democracy, even though last night, my judgment, was the biggest threat to democracy <laughs> in a long time, uh, when he says that, the American people just discount it. I mean, mm-hmm. if they believe in him, okay, they're going to, yeah, rah, rah, rah. But they get, they, most of the American people get it. That's why 75% of the country thinks we're going in the wrong direction. Less than 40% believe Biden's doing a good job. A majority of the Democrats don't want him to run again. I mean, sure. on and on and on. So they get it. But what they can't do is get complacent. Mm -hmm. That's what my book is is focusing on is, you know, recognize what happened to me. Don't feel sorry for me, but make sure you don't get put in this same situation. And the way you do it is you take back your government. And that starts in November. And I think it's happening. Uh, The media is going to distort it. When you're reading now this resuscitation of the Democratic Party for the November elections, Nancy Pelosi may get uh, get, uh, reelected. Bloating. No, happening. (laughs) It's it's another one of the hoaxes meant to distract us, to discourage us, to get us to to back out, back off. It's not going to happen. The American well, you, won't let it happen.
1: Well, you've you've been deeply involved with uh, political campaigns for decades, obviously with uh, I believe it was called Black Manafort and Stone. I've had Roger on my show, by the way. I'm sure he would like to like to chat with you and catch up if you haven't already. Um, what what was the purpose behind a speech of this nature last night? You have the <clears throat> you have U.S. Marines standing in the backdrop. I've never seen that for the first. You know, I just want to note, I've never seen that unless you were, you know, preparing to go to war. Um, I've never seen troops like that. He's standing in front of the American flag. He's highlighted in red. They they have him shaded. Like you know, that political uh, campaigns they do this stuff consciously. I, I don't think that any of it was accidental. What is the purpose behind doing so, uh, other than to strike fear in his opponents? I don't understand it.
2: Well, first of all, I'd say that the Biden administration, the Biden White House, is politically tone deaf. I mean, they're tone deaf. He can stand up there and say zero inflation. He can stand up there and his press secretary can stand up there every day and say, people don't walk across the borders. They're they're, they're stopped along the way. I mean, so they can lie all they want, but people see through the lies. Last night was meant, I think, for one purpose. They don't have a record to run on this November. They're trying to shake it up. So they're trying to declare that the conservative America wants to create a civil war. Mm-hmm. If you are in the MAGA agenda, as if that's some sinister agenda, it's an agenda that brought, you know, higher wages, lower inflation, uh, you know, energy independence, safe borders. Uh, that's the MAGA agenda. America first. Uh, you know, they're saying that if you believe in that, uh, you're, gonna, you're, you're going to you're going to you're an insurrectionist and we're coming after you and the, and the symbols were meant to let you know we're coming after you. Well, yeah, that's all deflection. It's all meant to change the agenda from his record to the sphere of Donald Trump and quote MAGA. Um, It's not, and it'll, it'll excite his base, but it's not going to, it's not going to deliver the election. That's going to be given on the issues that we talked about. Um, And again, what, one of the things that bothers me the most about this government, this new government, is they don't care about the precedents they're breaking. No, I mean, you know, if you, they've now made Pelosi and Schumer and the Democrats have made impeachment into a tool of the majority in the House of Representatives. Not an extraordinary remedy to some gross malfeasance of a president. But now if you don't like the way he dressed in the morning, you can bring an impeachment. <laughs> they've trivialized it that much. That's a dangerous precedent to do. When you've got uh, you, know, uh, you know just a majority to get to, to, to do that. Number two, they have made the tax on democracy to to be a, a joke. I mean, anything that's in opposition, to them, they're the fascists. Anything that you say against their government is is uh, is a threat to democracy. But what they say that undermines your constitutional rights is them protecting the constitution. <laughs> right? It's crazy. It's an Alice in Wonderland kind of. A, I say it, therefore it is. Um, but again, it doesn't work, and so uh, so I mean, there to an objective person looking at that speech last night, like, they're confused because okay, somebody's president of the United States, he must be saying this for a reason, but he's not. It's all political power and and and, and trying to protect it, um, and and it puts the American presidency and our democracy in danger when. Big time. I mean, they're the radicals, not, not Donald Trump, who wants there to be free speech and wants there to be right. To, our, you go through our Bill of Rights. Trump's for those Bill of Rights. You go through the Bill of Rights. Well, was against I mean, Biden's against them, those He talks the talk. But he's been lying all the way back to his college days when he plagiarized his test and he papers. I mean, he's got a history of just saying whatever he wants and getting away with it. I mean, Joe Biden was for busing. Ask Kamala Harris. Joe Biden was the principal sponsor of the crime bill that put more young black people in jail than ever than any other bill in the, in, the, in recent history. Joe Biden was best friends with the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan in West Virginia, uh, and now he's the protector of the black black Americans. Yeah. Break, <laughs> but then his whole career is built on lies and changing positions based on what's in his interest, not what's in the interest of the American people, and. I think he's just overreached this time he's he's not he's not going to get away with it
1: well i sure hope you're right i i mean i have to imagine there are some moderate left-leaning or democrat voters that that watched that last night and were like what the hell is happening here um i hope i mean i you said that it'll fire up his base i think it'll fire up his base but the base that's fired up by that was probably already you know they're gonna vote blue no matter who like do you really need to motivate these people further it just seemed as if from my vantage point, you know I'm a libertarian. So from my vantage point, it seemed as if it galvanized kind of the libertarian and the conservative side because we are now being lumped together as this, you know, the the enemy within. I mean, that's really how they're framing it. on On Biden's first day in office, he had a, a memorandum that went out, uh, you know, domestic violent extremists. He was categorizing people that we've we've now seen via the Project Veritas leak where. If you have an uh, you know, anarcho-capitalist flag, which is my people, or if you have a Betsy Ross flag, which is your people, we're all the same. We're all potential domestic violent extremists. It's, it's really an extraordinary time. I, I, I never imagined that it would happen, uh, and it's, it's really horrifying. But I, I wanted to transition this into-
2: defines the definition of uni- unifying the nation. Yeah, right. Basically, to t- everybody who's not a part of you in jail or, or uh, under arms. I mean, yeah. you know, that's unifying the country.
1: You, unit, unity through division, a, a brilliant uh, strategic decision. Um, so what did you think of the, uh, the Mar-a-Lago raid? Do you have any insight into that? I, I, I don't know if it's too sensitive of a subject to talk about, but I would
2: like to ask I'm if you have anything. All. I mean, it's part of the playbook of the Democratic Party, you know, going back uh, really the last 15 years. It's what they did to me uh, in, Russia, in the Russian hoax. Um, you know, it's take a big, uh, big event raiding the, uh, the home of a, of a former president, take a big lie. The national security of the country is at, is at stake. And then anonymously leaking to favored reporters by the same favored reporters who were leaked the stories on Russian collusion six years ago. Uh, you know, all the dangers. Trump's going to jail. Trump's they committed espionage. Trump is never going to be able for president again. Blah, 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 blah. And the reality is, that this great threat to national security was sitting there for 18 months working with the archives and there was no threat to our, American, to our, our national security. So that there, was, there were certainly other ways to do it than what they did. This fear a risk to our national security was boxes in his basement locked up versus Hillary Clinton's server, which was into the public domain, which we know was hacked by the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Romanians, the Chinese, and that had top-secret documents on it. But James Comey said, yeah, but there's no threat for our country. But boxes in a basement locked up with no access to anybody, anybody unless you have the key to that door, that's a risk to national security. Right. It's a joke. But, there, there, again, it, this was part of – I think this led to the speech of last night. It was part of their strategy to try and make Trump into the, the, the theme of their campaign for November and to uh, – uh, to fo- try and get their record, record of a failure out of the American public's uh, uh, view. Uh, so it's, it's all part of a continuum. It's, it all connects. Um, and that's uh, not going to work. It's not going to work. I mean, it's okay. not work. I mean it let's I mean, even assume that the most egregious thing happens, meaning they, they indict a former president for having documents in his basement that he had a right to. And he, yeah, they got to prove willfulness. You know, I mean, they've proven in my case and certainly in others that facts be damned. I mean, they'll, they'll, in, a, in a situation where the jury is a, a bunch of D.C. residents who hate Trump, you know, you're already 12 people behind. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so in that worst case, that's not going to stop Trump from running. Hmm. And in that worst case, even if convicted, that's still not going to stop him from running because it's not a constitutional bar. To be the constitutional bar is in the Constitution, period, right. and let them appeal that to the Supreme Court. Let them. So I'll that bet, that I'll bet that'll
1: be Trump. fascinating.
2: I'll what bet i on Trump winning at the Supreme Court, and of course, then they'll say that's why we have to pack the court because this court is unconstitutional. They're against American civil rights. Uh, it's it's part of the MAGA agenda. I mean, that's the game. I mean, anything that doesn't agree with you, destroy. And uh, but. They're going to run out of time when they do that. I mean, Trump, uh, I think, I don't know if Trump is running, but I think it's pretty clear that Biden has made it almost impossible for Trump not to run, both in the comparison (laughs) of the two records and now in the abuse that they've heaped on him in the last two months. Um, And if he runs, then I think their worst nightmare probably is going to come true and that he'll return to the presidency.
1: Well, that that leads me perfectly. I I actually have uh, Dave Smith and Sticks, which are going to be debating on Sunday, Trump's legacy, and uh, there's uh, obviously varying opinions as to why he wasn't able to accomplish some of the things that he had hoped to, and and I I, I'm kind of undecided. I don't know if a second term Trump presidency could accomplish because what we saw is. They undermined him every step of the way. They were willing to concoct evidence to, you know, maintain impeachment scams and all sorts of things, um, and and it kind of kept him on a back foot for four years straight. Uh, I think obviously I, I I did not appreciate that he didn't come out more forcefully uh, against the pandemic, but we can leave that aside for now, uh, or not the pandemic, but the lockdowns rather. Um, why why do you have faith that that given all of the hell that they put him through in his first term, that a second term could actually accomplish what he what he hopes to
2: well in fact i talk about that in my book because i think there's some real differences in a second term versus uh, at 2017 the first is you have to understand when trump ran for president he'd never been to washington i mean you for know, sure. a dinner here uh look at a ho- meeting on the hotel development but he didn't know anybody in washington i mean the the, the the only members of congress that trump knew when he ran for president were people who had come to new york to ask him for money <laughs> they were both Democrats and Republicans. Right, right. And and so when he, when he and, and I tell the story in the book about the transition, uh, the way our our election process works, once the two parties have nominated their their candidates for president, the U.S. government gives each side a lump sum of money to create their own transition organization uh, to help uh, to accelerate their preparation for takeover on January twentieth, um, and so. What traditionally has happened is you hire people in Washington to write the the the, the plans for hiring people for policies and things like that uh, that will be part of the uh, the startup for the new government. Well, Trump said to us said to me at the time, I don't want to transition government. I mean during this during the elect before the election is over, because this takes place starting at the convention. He says, I don't want to transition operation up. He says because the only people who are going to be free to man that are going to be the people I'm going to throw out of office. And he says so I don't want I don't want the Washington establishment putting together my my incoming administration. Sure. And but what that but that left him as a result short-handed when he won because he also didn't have a bench that he could put into that place. So in winning we then had to scurry about creating a team to do the transition. Um, and we weren't able to uh, put a, a plan together that was a real plan other than his agenda. And the people who are going to be working in the White House and some of the principal cabinet members, some of whom really shouldn't have been there, but for various reasons got selected. But today, 2025, if he just takes the oath of office on January 20th, he's got a team. He's got a bench. He, I mean, he's spent the last what will be eight years, uh, putting together people who believe in his agenda, who've participated in his agenda. And just as importantly, if we win this November, which I think we're going to, the Republican majority is going to be composed largely of people who are elected on his agenda. Because many of these new Republicans that are coming in are right. what Biden would call MAGA Republicans. Right. Uh, MAGA Enemies of the state. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so... So he'll have a Congress that's more predisposed than the Paul Ryan Congress, certainly. There'll still be rhinos in the Republican side, but it'll be clear. I mean, it's already clear where the party's going. And with him being elected again in 2024 and a Republican Congress being elected in 2022, it's clear the direction that Republicans need to follow. And so between not having a bench having a Washington United on his program, so Republican Washington, uh, and the experience of four years in the Oval Office, uh, he's going to be way differently prepared. And, and the people who will be part of that early January government will be people who will finish the job that he wanted to do, which was to drain the swamp. So I see it as two totally different games. Um, you can almost make the case if he had won re-election in 2020 it would have taken him still – it would be just about now that he'd be able to really be indenting. So I – to people who wonder, like, the question you posed, can it be different? Yes, it absolutely can be different, and it will be different. Um, Interesting.
1: Well, I my my personal vantage point is that if if the Republican side or the GOP more broadly is not willing to take on the deep state head-on and I think that the FBI has demonstrated definitively to be kind of the, uh, the tip of the spear when it comes to the deep state and going after political opponents. The IRS could be in that list as well. Do you believe that the you know, Trump 2024 presidency or the GOP underneath him, uh, the, the uh, conservatives in Congress, would actually work? Because my personal opinion is I don't think it's reformable. I think that the FBI has from its inception, it has been a corrupt institution that has been used to pursue political enemies. Uh, this is my vantage point. You can certainly disagree. Um, but I, I think that abolition needs to be on the table. And I, I think if they're not serious about that, he's going to deal with the same stuff in his second term.
2: Well, I mean, look, your position is well taken. I mean, I think that there's a lot of systemic abuse in the FBI, not just at the leadership level. And my, you know, what I've been telling people is if they're honest people in the FBI, they need to be stepping forward at this time yeah. and exposing the corruption that's there. Now- I don't think we're going to have to wait till 2024 to do that, though, because I think that the new Republican majority, you know, in the House in particular under Jim Jordan, the will chair of the Judiciary Committee, is going to shine a light on that corruption. They're already putting together the books and the investigations that frame framework to go to expose that corruption. Not because they're trying to get even, but because it's it's a danger to our Constitution uh, to have our chief law enforcement agency be a corrupt, politically uh, oriented uh, body, and yeah. so I think you're going to find that in in February of 2023, they're going to start shining the light on on Mer- Merrick Garland's corrupt uh, leadership inside the Department of Justice. And I mean, at least Eric Holder, Holder admitted he was the president's wingman. I mean, at least said it. I'm going to, you know, if right. I want to do something, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Merrick Garland, you know, is trying to be a a fox in sheep's clothing. But he's just a liar. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and 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 he's uh, you know he talked to the president. He briefed the White House on the Mar-a-Lago raid. Are you kidding me? Uh, he doesn't have the courage to do that on his own. Of course. Uh, and and he did it. By the way, after he was, for supposedly told by Biden a couple months before, e- this guy's got to get tougher on um, Trump. What's what's wrong with him over there? Well, he he did get tougher on Trump. did not mean he was doing his job, but he was violating his oath. Uh, but he did it. Uh, but I think in twenty three, you're going to start to see that unraveling um and they're going to create the case so that a republican president in 25 just pick it up and move immediately to flush it out
1: interesting well uh before we uh transition into the the meat of our, our subject which i i really want to dive deep with you on uh ukraine and russia obviously the war there as well as the allegations and then the pardon and everything else that happened with you uh just give me two seconds I want to thank our last sponsor for tonight's episode, or today's episode, rather, and that is Expat Money Summit. They're an upcoming online summit by my friend, Mikhail Thorpe, who has been on the show over at expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. Caution, nothing. It's totally free to attend. Go to expatmoneysummit.com. Reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden legally. Uh, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals. A ton of other topics that are incredible. They're going to have Ron Paul speaking, our guy. It's going to be a great event. Cost you nothing, as I said. Register now for free over at expatmoneysummit.com. It's a multi-day event. Do not miss it. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Again, register for free over at expatmoneysummit.com. And without further ado... We're back with part two. Uh, so let's do it. Let's dive deep, man. Because I, I, I personally, as I said earlier, it's the iron law of woke projection. Whatever they accuse you of, they're guilty of. We now have, in my opinion, pretty hard evidence that Hunter Biden was kind of a front man for the business dealings of his father in both Ukraine and China. That is essentially what they accused you of. If you could try and give us your, your version of events and tell us what the truth is going on with business dealings over there.
2: Sure. I mean, just to put a period at the end of what we just talked about, I talked about all of those issues in the book because I wanted to make the point to the audience that they need to be vigilant and they cannot give up for, uh, uh, mobilizing to, to defeat the enemy now, not in the future, and that they have the power to do it. You know, they, they sit here and, You know, that was the main reason I wrote the book. The other reason I wrote the book is your second your question just now? I wanted to get the truth out of what really was going on, mm-hmm. not the leaked lies and anonymous sources were, were promoting. And, and the fact that I wrote the book and finished the book in December of last year allowed me to get not just the Biden administration's first year in the, into the book, but the Durham investigation trials into the book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And,
2: and the, some important things happened in the last year that f- sort of set the predicate for all the Russian hoax. First thing was that, you know, he got Robbie Mooks, Clinton's campaign manager, to admit under oath that in early July of 2016, Hillary Clinton told him to put out a public lie, put it into the public, the lie that Putin wanted Trump to win and that Trump people were working with the Kremlin.
0: Hmm.
2: who admitted under oath. This was a lie. I knew it, but that was our strategy was to do that. We also know from Durham that... Uh, in John Brennan's handwritten notes, a couple of days later, he briefed Obama on this Clinton dirty trick, so he knew about it. And of course, we knew before in Durham that in July 30th, on July 30th, Peter Strzok started an investigation crossfire hurricane to get proof of the collusion between the Kremlin and the Trump campaign. Proof that they knew was fake because the foundation of it was a fake campaign a dirty trick by Clinton. So the right. White House knew about it. The, National Security, the CIA knew about it. The Justice Department knew about it. And yet the FBI still starts this uh, this investigation. And, of course, they get nothing. Uh, they get nothing. And meanwhile, parallel with the FBI is the Clinton administration, your Clinton campaign, working through, in hiding under Perkins Coie, their lawyer's uh, uh, billings, uh, hires Fusion GPS, Glenn Simpson, who hires Christopher Steele. Who hires Russians to go to Russia to get Russian dirt on Trump and Manafort? They can't find any, so they create the fake steel dossier. Right. So that's all going on while the campaign is still going on, and uh, and so when when the campaign is over, and they, I, I really think they always felt that this was their insurance policy to quote Peter Strzok to his girlfriend Lisa Page, but <laughs> I, I do believe that they never thought they were going to lose. So they wouldn't ever have to worry about they were coming to light of this corruption. Um, but there was, they didn't lose. <laughs> they, they did lose. And and then there was
1: uh, some and, highlights. And,
2: and what I found out also on the Durham that's important was in, in uh, December of 2015, 15, before I joined the Trump campaign, before I was even thinking of joining the Trump campaign, the uh, White House called a meeting of some of their political operatives and national security people, uh, and Alexander Chalupa, who was an Ukrainian DNC staff person, uh, and some Ukraine people from the Ukrainian embassy, where they had a strategy of finding dirt on Paul Manafort. Because Paul Manafort was in Ukraine for 10 years, working with the government to bring Ukraine into Europe, not working for Putin, working 100% against Putin's interest in bringing Ukraine into Europe. But the reason they tried to find dirt on me was because Hunter Biden was worrying them. We've seen evidence now that the State Department had sent messages to the White House that Hunter Biden is dealing with corrupt businesses in Ukraine. We have to be careful because his father is the point guy between Obama's administration and the government of Ukraine. Um, We know that there was a briefing by the national security to the vice president of of his son's activities. So, they were worried that this could all spill over and affect Clinton's campaign in 2016. So, they were, tr- since I had worked in Ukraine and they were tr- they were going to, tr- they thought maybe that'd be easy to get some dirt on Manafort. Maybe he's working for businesses in Ukraine and we can show that he's corrupt and deflect. The problem they had is I didn't work for businesses in Ukraine. I could have, I had plenty of opportunity. I was at the top of the food chain. I had elected the president and the, the several parliaments, but I made the decision because of the corruption in Ukraine. And because of my commitment in Ukraine was to bring Ukraine into Europe, that I would do no business inside the country other than to let run these campaigns, which oh, interesting. And so <laughs> they were looking for me to have kind of deal with some corrupt oligarch. They couldn't find any. <laughs> but that was, that was in 2015. And so as you then move forward, they, they worried about the Hunter Biden exposure back then. Then Clinton decides that that's a unique thing to, uh, to peg as uh, something to deflect from her server and then right through until the elections. And, uh, and so the framework is there now. Manafort, Trump campaign, Russian collusion, no facts. All fake stories, um, but a narrative. And they had gotten the media to just de- deal with the top lines and make it into a, a, a narrative of fact. When in fact, there were no facts involved at all. I didn't worry up until the election in 2016 because my attitude was, this is campaign politics. You know, hmm. dirty, but it's politics. After the election, whoever loses is going to go lick their wounds and try and figure out how to win next time, and whoever wins is going to put a government together. I thought Trump was going to win, so I was even less concerned. Um, but I was wrong. Hmm. because It wasn't politics as usual. They, the deep state viewed Trump as such an existential threat to their survival that they couldn't just lick their wounds and, and figure out how to win next time. They had to destroy him from day one. Uh, and So from the point So in December, I think right around the time that Trump met with Obama for the first time, Obama calls a national security team meeting in the White House where he wants to get all of the sources that have been collecting all this dirt and information so they can be declassified for rumor purposes. And he orders a national security investigation on Russian collusion that would take five, six months. And he gives them three weeks to four weeks to get it done. And lo and behold, they come back with this very definitive, yes, Trump committed collusion with Russia. Yeah, no facts. Um, And then they leak that in January. Right around the time that the Steele dossier gets leaked. And now all of a sudden you've got the Steele dossier claiming, yes, Trump colluding colluding with Russia, peeing on beds in Moscow. Manafort was dealing with Page, who was dealing with with, uh, Putin's office. I never met Carter Page, by the way. Never talked to him. Wow. And uh, uh, and then now you've got this national security uh, 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 imperative that comes down, talking about Russia. The Russians did collude, collude to interfere with our elections. And what they started to do at that time is sort of collapse two different themes. Russian collusion, I mean, Russian in- interference in the elections, meaning tam- tampering with social media and bots and things like that. And Trump collusion with Russia, which there was no facts or facts of. So did, did Russia interfere with the elections? They, yeah, they did. I mean, in the sense, technical sense, not with us and, and not to our advantage. So did the Chinese, sort of the Romanians, sort of the Ukrainians, sort of the British. Uh, right. So uh, there was there was interference, nothing that affected the election and nothing that the Trump campaign was involved in. Mm-hmm. But they then collapsed Russian collusion into Russian interference and Obama starts putting out that that's why Trump was elected, and uh, and that leads into his swearing in, uh, and in the course of that, James Comey, by his own admission, tells the FBI, go sit down with uh, with General Flynn, the new National Security Advisor, and try and entrap him into saying something, that because uh, he they, they because other than Trump, the person that Obama feared most, believe it or not, was Mike Flynn. Mike hmm. Flynn had been the head of the DI Defense Intelligence Agency under Obama. And Flynn's interpretation of the danger of of Iran versus John Brennan's definition of the danger of Saudi Arabia were totally different. And Flynn was making the case during the Obama administration that the enemy of the United States is Iran. At the time when Obama was trying to build relationships with Iran, and, he, and was blaming uh, blaming uh, Wahhabism and, and Saudi Arabia, so they feared Tr- Flynn coming in. As Trump's national security advisor, as a guy who could expose the Iranian complicity with the with the Obama administration, the, the Jim, John Brennan uh, uh, CIA uh, activities, which certainly undercut some of U.S. foreign policy in, in the Gulf with the Gulf states, and so he was a target as much as anybody. And and they came up with, and they always do. Trump, you know, they come up with these crazy uh, uh, crimes. Trump violating the national archives. Uh, secret documents uh, 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 statute. Flynn violated the Logan Act. The Logan Act was a 1798 act that was created by by the government, U.S. government, to go after British spies. Right. System. It's never been ever 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 uh, relied on for anything. It's a it's an old ancient you know not germane uh, act. They tried to say that Michael Flynn, as national security Advisor designate was meeting with ambassadors, in particular the Russian ambassador, and uh, and telling him to undercut U.S. foreign policy under the Obama administration two weeks before Trump took over and Flynn took office. Wow. I mean, it's a crazy theory. I mean, National Care Advisors always meet with ambassadors. Flynn didn't tell him what to do. He was meeting with people who say, when we get involved, it's going to be a change. Trump said that publicly in his campaigns. If anybody had violated the Kerry Act, the Logan Act, it's John Kerry. He was sitting in Tehran telling the mullahs during Trump's presidency not to pay attention to Trump's go- Gulf policy because we're going to re- we're going to under we're going to change it. That's a Logan Act violation, not hmm. what Flynn was doing as National Security Advisor designate. So all of that's happening, and things are now setting up for them to have the intelligence committees start their investigations and you frozen.
1: Oh, sorry. No, I can still hear you.
2: Can you? Okay. And, the, you. and, and yeah. they scared Jeff Sessions into recusing himself uh, for anything Russia because of the, he was the chairman of the Trump campaign, of uh, yeah. the advisory committee, which was absurd. But that's when I knew we have some problems because the deep state was not going to back off. This was an opening for the deep state to go after Trump with a special counsel. Not an independent counsel, a special counsel. And this is a distinction I talk about in the book. The independent counsel law allowed an appointment of of an independent counsel that was totally above the government and his own authority could ignore rules and regulations of the Department of Justice in doing their investigation. The Congress, Democrats, and Republicans decided this is too much power in one individual. And the investigations of the independent counsel have brought brought too much damage because of the wide-ranging nature and so they refused to renew the law. But but, they, uh, but the Justice Department rules, the regulations, allow for a special counsel to be appointed who has the authority of a U.S. attorney. And he, he's hired for a specific purpose. So that's what Mueller was. He, had a, he was a U.S. attorney with a special purpose. From day one, he exceeded his mandate. From day one, which was to, to ferret out information related to the Trump campaign colluding with Russia. I'm like, week one, uh, uh, Andrew Weissman, who was the principal deputy and who led the investigation against me, went to the head of the FARA, the Foreign uh, Foreign Agent Corrupt Practices Act, within the Department of Justice. Now, when the black ledger came out against me in August of 2016, FARA, as it normally would do, reading the headlines, reaches out to the individual and says, you haven't filed, is there a reason why? And you start a dialogue, and they reached out to me. I tent with them. And over three months we came to a, 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 an agreement. I didn't think I needed to file because my work was political in the country, not in Washington. I wasn't lobbying in Washington. I was electing governments in Ukraine, which is exempt from the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, and I was helping them in Europe, which is not a part of the act. Uh, and in fact, I had, had li- I had hired lobbyists to do the lobbying in the US. So I reached an agreement with FARA before the special counsel was appointed. No criminality, no civil uh, vi- violations, no slap on the wrist, no no penalties. Just if you agree to file, then we're, we're cool. We understand why you didn't, but this will make everybody happy. Okay. Weisman gets appointed in that first week, calls up the head of the fair unit and says, what's going on with the Manafort case? And she said, there is no Manafort case. We've reached an understanding. He's filed. He said, well, I'm throwing it out uh, and, and I'm taking jurisdiction. Wow. Counsel, taking jurisdiction over something that the justice Department already resolved, and I go through the details in the book, and he then proceeded to indict me, uh, on and on a, on a, for violations of an act that I reached an agreement on with no penalties, uh, and to, to throw me in solitary confinement with a gag order on me, to put pressure on me, to give him Donald Trump, because I was—I mean, I, I never fancied myself as the goal of Andrew Weissman. I was the means to the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and if he could get me to to break that he I'd give him Donald Trump to do that I would have had to lie I wasn't going to
1: lie see here's here's the thing that I've always been confused by we now know that basically every bureaucracy involved with the Russian collusion hoax was privy to the fact that it was in fact a hoax so when when you say that they were trying to hem you up to get you to give up dirt on Trump you had no dirt to give up so were they just hoping that you would flatly lie to back up their case? Absolutely. Okay.
2: Absolutely. they. You know, I spent 50 hours dealing with the special prosecutor, with Andrew Weissman. And in the course of those 50 hours, they came at me every which way. And in the book, I lay out what Weissman's theory was, how he tried to get me to confirm pieces of it, not as a in a linear way, but, you know, this here and then there and there. And so he can then compile it into uh, his narrative. Uh, and in the book, I lay out what his narrative is and, and uh, what the key points were. And, and they all to confirm any of the points, not most of them, any of them, I would have had to lie. <laughs> and I wasn't going to, but why? I a prosecutor who just thought he was, uh, he was inspired by God. when in fact, he was inspired by the devil in my mind, uh, to, uh, to come up with this, this narrative to put Donald Trump in jail and impeach right. Trump. And, uh, and when he didn't get it from me, you know, he doubled down on coming after me. You know, and as I said, I was in solitary for 11 months. Uh, they were constantly leaking anonymously fake information about me so that by the time my trial came about, I was already convicted in the court of public opinion. I mean, it was, it was I had no chance to be here. Uh, and it still, it took four and a half weeks and almost a week of deliberations by the jury to get me on eight of the 18 charges. And even then, it was because of lies that were told by people who had admitted separately, differently in previous communications with the uh, FBI before the FBI squeezed them and Weissman squeezed them and threatened them, and then they changed their stories. Um, So, and it's all laid out in the book in a way that you can can follow because now we don't have to keep going. We've kept finding things out over the last six years in pieces, but the beauty of my book is a lot of, all that's now behind us. And so when I finished my book in December of last year, I was able to take a, na- a narrative that I could put in context of how it happened, and right. show what the motivations were, and in, why, why in 2015 were I, was I suddenly in the crosshairs? Well, because they're trying to deflect it from Hunter Biden, who they thought was exposing Vice President Biden and going to hire Hillary Clinton. Why, you know, I, we now we can now know that. Why, why would Hillary Clinton, you know, put out this false lie because she was worried about the server? I mean, all this in the end gets back to their corruption. And they're trying to expose to cover up their corruption by coming after us. Cover up the corruption of pay for play by Hunter Biden. Cover up the corruption of the hunter of the server by Hillary Clinton. Uh, cover up the corruption of of, of uh, uh, weaponizing the FBI. <clears throat> it's all their acts right. that they try and impose on us.
1: Or and- or Operation Fast and Furious. Or I mean, the list goes on.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and which is why in the end of my book I say okay, this is a terrible story, but don't feel sorry for me. Prepare yourself, defend yourself, mobilize, mobilize yourself, because we can beat them back. They're the bad guys. But but they win because we try and have our normal lives while they're busy in their corrupt lives. Right. And, and we have to stop our normal lives, unfortunately, and get engaged to stop their corruption and then put in place people will put a government together that will protect your rights, not, uh, not to challenge them.
1: Well, this uh, I, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, I do wanted to ask a little bit about, <clears throat> you said that you were involved, obviously it was Yanukovych who uh, was the, the leader of Ukraine uh, back then. And I don't really understand the reasoning in in trying to bring Ukraine into alignment with the EU, given that You know, if say, say Russia was trying to get Mexico into alignment with something, some other nation that we were opposed to it, you had Putin repeatedly saying that it was a red line. If you bring Ukraine into, you know, NATO or the UN or whatever, um, why, why is it of such strategic importance that we were willing to risk World War three over Ukraine? I don't understand.
2: I don't know that we've risked World War three, but why Ukraine was important in my mind to me and why I got involved, um, was because it's a country of 44 million people, it's the breadbasket of Europe, it's uh, it's got access to the Black Sea that keeps Russia from having access to the Black Sea and controlling important uh, strategic uh, uh, ocean, and the people wanted to be part of the Ukraine, Europe, and so we didn't we didn't put troops on the ground, you know, what, Ukraine wasn't asking for that. What Ukraine was asking for was to be part of the European community, not NATO. Under Yanukovych, we spent all the years of his presidency changing the legal, economic, and and regulatory structures for Ukraine to comply with with European standards to be part of the trade agreement, to have a trade association and a political association. But we drew the line on NATO because we thought that was a red line. And in fact, the Europeans felt that was a red line. And, and so we never were talking about becoming part of NATO. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and but, but that,
1: I, I, let me just say I, I do agree with you that that there was obviously the uh, the western half of Ukraine did want to be uh, aligned with the EU. It, from from my understanding, the the eastern half of Ukraine very much has Russian allegiances. Is that is that false
2: or no? It's one hundred percent false. And let me tell, oh, it you, is. Okay. Let me tell you why. I, you know, the foundation of the party of regents, which is the party that I helped elect uh, parliamentary governments and the presidency to, was an Eastern Ukrainian party. Hmm. Um, so it was, you know, and and so I've conducted over 100 polls in Ukraine. It started in like 2005 to 2012. In every one of my polls, every one, not one, uh, I asked the question uh, Do you feel Russia, You you would rather be a part of Russia or be a part of? Of Europe as you, for Ukraine, and it was asked of everybody in the population, not just Eastern Ukrainians. But I segmented it out so I could understand the geographic breakout of that question that, uh, by by oblast or state and region. In no poll was any Ukrainian of Russian heritage wanting to go to Ru- be part of Russia higher than five percent. Interesting, 5%. and. And there's there a lot of reasons why. I mean, they, they, yes, they were very proud of their Russian heritage. Yes, they were very proud of their uh, of their language and wanted to protect it. They wanted to protect their religion. And there were, one of the big you know, fights in Ukraine is Russian Orthodox versus Ukrainian Orthodox, which is very, it's religion, but it's very political. They wanted to protect that. But the other thing, the key was to this question of all subgroups was they also wanted to protect their freedom. And they knew what freedom was like under Russia versus freedom was like, because they had to be part of the Soviet Union versus freedom in Ukraine. And so they wanted their culture and their heritage protected, but they wanted to be part of a separate independent country, Ukraine. Right. And that's why, and I've told the story in a bunch of interviews I've done since the invasion by Putin, that's why Ukraine was able to stop the Blitzkrieg. It wasn't Western Ukraine stopping it. It was the Ukrainian people. I mean, they were coming from Eastern Ukraine to fight the Russians as well as from Western Ukraine, because they, as a country, the people wanted to stay independent of Russia. And, uh, Putin didn't understand that. I'm sure his single were telling them they're going to just fall into line in Eastern Ukraine. Well, some of the bloodiest fights were in Eastern Ukraine, uh, against yeah. the Russians.
1: And wasn't, it, wasn't there a referendum though, that, that, uh, I don't know if it was Donbass or Crimea or, or which area that, that actually voted to be part of
2: Russia? Is that is What happened was, two things happened in, under Obama. First, he just moved into Crimea and took it over without okay. any p- penalty at all. I mean, they, Obama jawboned that this was a bad thing, but he got it for free. He just moved in all of a sudden had a base on the Black Sea, which was very important to them militarily. The other thing Obama, that he did under Obama is he invaded eastern Ukraine. And they created autonomous war zones, and and in those autonomous war zones, Putin ran polls, where anybody who voted, they already knew it. there was a Russian election, and so. Oh, it, so
1: you're saying it was under duress? It was ex-
2: not only under duress. The, the the people who didn't want to be part of it, which was the majority, they weren't able to participate. Plus, Putin flooded people into because the border of eastern Ukraine is Russia. He flooded people in, and they voted as Ukrainians, and they weren't Ukrainians. So no, I mean it was a total faca- uh, fake uh, referendum, um, and it was typical prop- Russian propaganda. So when and so you, you gotta you gotta
1: find it kind of ironic that someone like yourself who appears to not be in alignment with the Russian narrative on the situation in Ukraine was basically <laughs> pursued. Uh, for being in alignment with Russian propaganda. That's pretty well, amazing. I'm
2: worried about it because I figured this is all public. What I'm telling you is all public information. Yeah, so I'm worried about it because I figured, you know, okay, it's politics as usual. And then at each stage, when it kept ramping up, I kept saying, well, this is getting crazier. I don't understand this. Um, and nobody was listening to me. And it was like you know, spinning into a hurricane. Uh, <laughs> the media narrative was being directed you know, by the deep state. And and, they, and I couldn't even speak once they indicted me. So so then Obama, Trump becomes president. Now, part of Weissman's theory, and this is discussed in the book, was the payoff for Putin was Trump was going to give Ukraine to, to Russia. So what's the first thing Trump does as president? He puts sanctions on Nord Stream 2, which is the pipeline from Russia into Germany, which was Russia's attempt to buy Germany and cut out the pipeline from, that goes through Ukraine and that Obama had, had green-lit. Trump puts a sanctions, uh, you know, shuts it down and puts sanctions on it. Two, he starts giving military equipment to Ukraine that Obama wouldn't do. And he puts Putin on notice that I don't expect any more games in, in Ukraine. And what happens? Nothing. And Putin just stands back. He recognizes and he waits. And then, Obama, and then Biden gets elected, which is Obama light, and he brings in the Obama people. Putin sees the same people who gave him Crimea and allowed him to pull off Eastern Ukraine moving into the Biden administration. He then sees the Afghanistan debacle uh, and he says, Okay, I guess I can finish the job now. And he starts announcing in August after the Afghanistan debacle, that he's going to invade Ukraine. So it's moving his troops in onto the borders, heavy artillery, the word's getting out that he's getting ready to invade. And everybody knows that Putin likes to invade in the winter. That's the best time for his, for his purposes. And he waits until January and he invades. And then everybody's surprised. Well, I can't believe he did it. He'd been telling us he was going to do it. We knew the reasons why he was going to do it. Uh, and by then, Biden had stopped giving lethal weapons again. So, they were defending themselves against the Russians with the tr- weapons Trump gave them. And you know, they've just started to get new weapons. I mean, Biden's been, throwing them, been giving them for five or six months. They've just started to get the new weapons. And even that, those are coming in late. But Ukraine is not asking for our troops. Ukraine is asking for our support. And and if we give them the support, they will keep 44 million people free. And uh, my concern now is not that Ukraine's going to lose the war, it's that they'll lose the peace. Because Biden and his administration and the Europeans, I'm afraid, are going to fall prey to Putin's backup strategy, which is to wait till the winter, get it very cold in Europe, and say he's willing to get peace, but I just need to have this and that and this from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And they sell, out, they sell out Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. That's what I, I'm fearful of.
1: Um, well. I'm I'm a little bit more fearful of uh, of World War III, but I, I understand your position, having been there. Um, my, I, I mean I've had Judge Andrew I have uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano on my show every Thursday. He obviously talks to some of the uh, generals and people that that have a totally different vantage point on this. Their their perception is that it's just a matter of time be- before Russia ultimately wins this war, and that we are delaying the inevitable. It's your, your belief that that's not the case.
2: It's not the case as long as we stay vigilant and, and help them to help them defend themselves. Um, look, the generals have been wrong on everything going back with right, 30, 40 years. They' were wrong in Vietnam, they were wrong in Afghanistan, they were wrong in Iraq. Uh, they, they've been wrong, wrong wrong. and uh, you know, it, they're part of the military-industrial complex. They have their own games and their own special interests. Uh, and if Ukraine doesn't fit their interests right now, then too bad for Ukraine, too bad for the people of Ukraine. And now that it's a woke army, now that you've got woke generals, I mean, they have even less credibility to me as protectors of freedom. And, uh, you know, unless, I mean, the strategy for Ukraine should simply be to have everybody become transgender, and then the U.S. government will move into Ukraine. (laughs) It's always good to end
1: on a a note of levity. Uh, Anyways, people out there, if you're listening, I'm going to definitely finish reading this book. Uh, it's Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, but Not Silenced by Paul Manafort. Uh, anything else you'd like to tell my audience before we head out?
2: Well, I appreciate the chance to talk about this. The key message of my book is we have to take control of ourself, our agenda. We have to protect ourselves, and that starts on Election Day in November when we need to return Republican control to Congress.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. Uh, everybody go out there and grab that book. Again, it's Political Prisoner by Paul Manafort. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Clint. Before we get into part two with Judge Andrew Napolitano, I want to thank you guys for your continued support. Please continue to go leave five star reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. And uh, by the way, I just realized today that Spotify has removed all but my first three episodes. I have no idea what's going on. I hope to remedy that quickly. So I had imagined that many of you are just now hearing this because you don't understand why you haven't seen an episode in a week or two. That is why I had nothing to do with it. I apologize. Uh, You Make sure you go back and check what you missed out I had Dave Smith and a bunch of great guests on So you won't want to miss that Uh, Last but not least, before we start with uh, Judge Knapp Go to libertylockdown.locals.com I will be doing an AMA Where you guys can come in on stream with me All of my supporters are welcome to do so And uh, and just shoot the shit for an hour It's really fun, great to get to know you guys And uh, great to answer questions that maybe I'm I'm missing that I'm not thinking to answer. So it's they've I've done like three of them now. We always have a good turnout, and people seem to really enjoy them. So it's great to get to meet you guys and get to know you better, and uh, and know the the faces behind the uh, the download numbers because I don't I don't know. Go to libertylockdown.locals.com to sign up to become a supporting member so that you can join that. That'll happen in the next week, maybe 10 days. And then, uh, last but not least, go to TopLobster.com to pick up a Liberty Lockdown shirt so you, too, can become a walking billboard. Without further ado, Judge Andrew Napolitano. It's actually Thursday, and it's Judge Nap Thursday. Thank you so much for joining us, Judge Andrew Napolitano welcome in. oh always a pleasure Clint thanks for having
3: me on your show and I, I love these Thursdays and the fact that you've named it after me makes me love it even more it appeals <laughs> to my vanity <laughs> I'm, I'm a
1: brilliant marketer I always know how to appeal to my guests um all right so let's start with this I I'm very concerned about the the language that's coming from the executive branch right now and I want to show some examples because I think it's important for you know not everyone's Perennially online, like us, so or at least like myself, so they probably haven't heard some of this stuff. So, I'm gonna run the first clip from uh Pierre Jean Pierre, Corrine Jean Pierre. Uh, pretty, pretty disturbing. I'm not gonna lie. Here we go.
4: The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear as he can be on that particular. Uh, piece. When we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms, uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. The president thinks that there is an extreme.
1: <clears throat> so 70 plus million people who voted for Donald Trump, which is obviously the, the MAGA uh, quadrant of our political sphere, why are they talking like this? Do you have any idea? I mean, I know it's politics, well, I, I, but man.
3: The, the, first of all, the Republican Party is a threat, but to Joe Biden's presidency, and right. rightly so, and to the dominance in the government of the Democratic Party. Uh, why are they talking that way? They probably took a poll, and they found out that in certain places, not far from where I am now, not far from where Joe Biden was born in the Scranton, PA, Uh, That this uh, type of language, some of which he used uh, just yesterday or the day before when he was blasting yet again the right to keep and bear arms, where he misquoted Justice Scalia on the nature of the right, Uh, their poll probably told them that this does resonate with people. Uh, It's an insult uh, to call people that disagree with you extremists, but uh, I think it probably goes in one ear and out the other.
1: Well, Perhaps, but uh, let me let me run you one other clip from Joe Biden yesterday because it is, uh, <laughs> it's it's not as if it's like a one-off, and I, I grant you it's probably a polling issue that's that's uh, encouraging them to do this uh, desperation with the midterms, but it's such a terrible precedent to set. Here we go. Let
3: me say this to my MAGA Republican friends in Congress: Don't tell me you support law enforcement if you won't condemn what happened on the sixth. Don't tell me. Can't do it. For God's sake, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Look. You're on the side of a mob. The side of the police. You can't be pro law enforcement and pro insurrection.
1: So first off, uh, I'd like your opinion. It was January sixth, in fact, an insurrection.
3: I think that some of it was an insurrection, but I think the overwhelming majority of it was um, a political demonstration, which is protected speech uh, on on the on the part of those who spoke. But you wouldn't know it if you watched the January sixth committee. So the narrative that the people in that audience that most of America has is the January 6th committee because, and, and Donald Trump agrees with me on this, Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the Republicans in the house, made a profound error by not putting a minority, a team of Republicans on that committee. It would have given them their own investigators, ex FBI agents and their own lawyers with subpoena power who could have presented an entirely different narrative than the narrative that Liz Cheney and her Democratic buddies uh, presented. So this is not an easy yes or no answer. Most Americans think it was a mob insurrection because that is the inaccurate and unfair and one-sided view that the committee presented. McCarthy made a mistake by not allowing the other side to be presented and you can't unring the bell. I don't know how he's gonna change uh, everybody's minds. And again, uh, you know, Joe is, President Biden is probably speaking to the converted. As a matter of law, you can't be pro-law enforcement and pro-insurrection. You can be pro-law enforcement and pro-demonstration. You can be pro-law enforcement and and anti the people that run the government. You can be pro-law enforcement, pro-America, but profoundly mistrustful of government. That sound familiar? That's you and me and everybody listening.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I don't have any problem with those people. Uh, But so in a 24 hour span, uh, this is obviously, this is my summation. So it's a little, it's uh, a little colorful in how I described it. But I said in 24 hours, Joe Biden threatened disarmament because he said he's he's intending to to once again ban assault weapons, whatever that means, no one really knows, uh, said you'd need an F-15 to survive if you wanted to revolt, uh, claimed AR-15 rounds uh, fly at, I think it was four times the speed of any other round, which is obviously nonsensical. He then labeled half the country as you know, semi-fascist or whatever he said. And then he also lied about cops being killed on January 6th. I think for of all those things, what, what concerns me most is the fact that they aren't concerned with the truth anymore. We're we're a year deep into this. Brian Sicknick died of a stroke the day after the insurrection. There was no other officers that were you know killed. There were no no one was murdered. The only person that was murdered was Ashley Babbitt. But yet the the truth of that and, and, day, and, the, and
3: the killer and the killer the murderer won't be prosecuted.
1: Right, of course, and I don't even think he was investigated. But uh, how is it that? they can be so detached from reality and carry forward this narrative after a month's long investigation to this. I just don't understand
3: it. Like how is this well, happening? Again, so? I, I, again, their polls must have, these people don't do anything without polls and I'm not critical of polls. Republicans use polls also, of course, but I am sure uh, that they ran those lines before uh, focus groups, before the president uh, articulated them. I mean, it doesn't resonate with you or me or the, or the good people watching us now, but it probably resonates with wherever he was when he said it. I think he was in Pennsylvania, not far uh, from uh, where I am. I know he was in Pennsylvania when he made those absurd comments uh, about guns. You think you need a, a, uh, an F-15, which is a fighter jet, to protect you? Just look at what's going on in the streets in Ukraine. Any kind of a weapon will protect you from someone coming at you with a, with a similar weapon. The right. right to keep and bear arms is not the right to shoot deer. It's the right to shoot bad guys when the police can't get there, like somebody trying to kill innocent people in a, in a shopping mall and some 22-year-old kid, licensed and trained, takes out his gun and puts him away and saves innocent lives. It's the right to shoot at people trying to take your liberty away, whether they work for the government or whether they don't. That's not me. That's Justice Scalia in the Heller opinion. Speaking of the Heller opinion, also Joe Biden in Pennsylvania misquoted Justice Scalia. Uh, he, He claimed that Justice Scalia wrote that the right to keep and bear arms comes from the Second Amendment rather than is secured by, which is what Justice Scalia wrote, the Second Amendment. Justice Scalia recognized and it's, it's paramount in the Heller opinion that the right to keep and bear arms is an extension of the ancient right to self-defense. I'm, I'm pointing to my heart because it comes from your humanity. It doesn't come from the government. Second Amendment doesn't create the right, just like the First Amendment doesn't create the right to free speech. These amendments theoretically keep the government from interfering with these rights. Yet, I wonder if he passed constitutional law when he was in law school. Get your basics on the Constitution right, Mr. President. And if you want a private tutorial, I'm right here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he needs you. He needs you bad. Um, so this this trend the, that I'm trying to demonstrate right now is that there's a real detachment from reality, and it's coming, in my estimation, largely from the Democrat Party. Uh, for instance, just last week, California banned gas-fueled cars until the year of I'm sorry. They banned them effective 2035, where no one, it will be illegal to sell a gas fueled car in California in 2035. I kid you not. One week later, they have brownouts and they send out letters to everybody saying, please don't charge large, uh, you know, utilities or whatever, or large uh, appliances that includes electric cars. Are these people on a death march in, in the name of carbon reduction? Because it certainly strikes me as such.
3: Well, uh, they're they're rivaled by the crazies here in New Jersey, these two governors, each of whom wants to run for the Republican nomination in 2024. They think that that Biden won't. Maybe they know something we don't. Gavin Newsom in California, Phil Murphy uh, in New Jersey. uh, They both have uh, huge majorities, veto-proof majorities of hard left legislators in both houses uh, of their uh, legislatures. uh, And they both are now free to do what they want. They don't care about the constitution. They don't care about uh, basic common sense. This is not the constitution. This is basic reason. There isn't enough electricity to run an air conditioner in everybody's home. How is there going to be enough electricity uh, to fire up an electric car? You know, you can't have a perfect world yeah, that you, you have to have uh, a balance. You, you tolerate a little bit uh, of interference with the climate in order for convenience and in order for everything else to work. They don't see it that way. And, and you know that the voters get what they deserve. California and New Jersey are crazy places that they choose, even though I live in New Jersey, that they just keep uh, sending these same crazies uh, back into uh, office. Yeah, Look at this crazy woman in New York that, is running for governor. She is the governor now. She hasn't been elected. She became the governor when Andrew Cuomo uh, resigned. Yeah. Uh, her new legislation on guns makes it nearly impossible for you to carry a gun in New York because there are so many gun-free zones. Times Square is seven square blocks. She has made 35 square blocks, including Times Square and surrounding it, gun-free zones. And guess what? there are signs there that say you're entering a gun-free zone. Who the heck is that going to deter? Is it going to deter the crooks? Of course not. They know, just like Uvaldi, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I am mean, in a gun-free zone. Nobody here can come after me. Nobody can defend themselves. It's sick.
1: No, it truly is. And I just want to show one more 30-second clip demonstrating that this is a global phenomenon. This is not Strictly an American one. I wish it were because then I would have some escape hatches to flee towards. Um, But unfortunately, that's not the case. We have a uh, the German foreign minister says, uh, well, here we go.
4: But if I give the promise to people in Ukraine, we stand with you as long as you need us then I want to deliver, no matter what my German voters think, but I want to deliver to the people of Ukraine. And this is why for me it's important to be always very frank and clear. And this means every measure I'm taking... I have to be clear that this holds on as long as Ukraine needs me. We are facing now winter time where we will be challenged as democratic politicians, people will go on the street and say, we cannot pay our energy prices. And I will say. Yes, I know. So we help you with social measures. But I don't want to say, OK, then we stop the sanctions against uh, Russia. We will stand with Ukraine. And this means the sanction will stay also in winter time, even if it gets really tough for po- politicians.
1: It's She overtly no, I, states uh, she doesn't I, care about I, what I, the voters think. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah.
3: I really never heard, um, I mean, I I know that the uh, Western European leaders are globalists, but I didn't know they were that irrational. I mean, she's going to have, she probably won't have a cold winter because she works for the government. But the vast majority of Germans will have a cold winter because of Joe Biden's sanctions. And by the way, Vladimir Putin is making more money on oil now uh, than before the sanctions. And the ruble is right up where it was before the sanctions were imposed. Uh, Sanctions hurt the the middleman. Sanctions don't hurt the government. They don't hurt the elites. And in this case, they're not even hurting Russia. They're hurting people who needed to buy from Russia. So she's really a lunatic if she says we're going to stand by Ukraine as long as is necessary. And then she says she wants to help Ukraine afterwards. You know what that means? Trillions to rebuild Ukraine. Do you think the German taxpayers would tolerate that any more than the American taxpayers would? I don't.
1: No. Uh, Well, I, you would think not, but there are certainly a large percentage of of every country now that is uh, deeply indoctrinated. You see it on on social media, all the Ukraine flags everywhere. Um, but I think what concerns me most is that you know they they don't seem to fear the suffering of their people anymore, and and they're overt with it. They, you know, they, it's just like she even says in early on in that clip, it's this isn't about what the voters want, <laughs> you know, and it's like. Are you not a representative of the people anymore? And are you are you so confident in your security in your position that you can just state that openly? I mean, that you have utility prices, uh, electricity in particular, that is up over seven x year over year throughout Germany and much of Europe, and this is largely predicated on their interventions in uh, in Ukraine. Why why Correct, is Ukraine? She... Go, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say why why is Ukraine so? How, how did it become so important that they are all in lockstep working in this? It's class?
3: not that Ukraine is important. It's that they they are misreading what's going on the gr- on the ground. And they see this as an opportunity to weaken Putin, whom they loathe and fear. Let's face it. Putin's a butcher, but he's their butcher. They've elected him uh, to run uh, the country. We're not going to get in the business of, of regime change. We saw the disaster, George Bush, that that brought us uh, in, uh, Iraq, uh, and Afghanistan. So, um, she, uh, is of the belief that somehow German money, NATO material and American arms in the hands of Ukrainians will somehow dislodge Putin from office. I think she's crazy, but that's their thinking. By the way, that's Tony Blinken's thinking, the secretary of state of the United States I don't know if Lloyd Austin actually believes that he's a former four star general, but he's at least sounding like he believes it. he probably wants to keep his job in Joe Biden's uh, cabinet. Right. Um, the leaders of Western Germany, excuse me, the leaders of Western Europe, not Eastern Europe, the leaders of Western Europe know what's going on. Although the president of Poland uh, just the other day said Ukraine needs to take back Crimea. You really want to start World War III, Mr. President? Take back Crimea. So these people uh, are so blinded in their rage for uh, Putin, so misreading the way the war is going, uh, so simple-minded in, if Putin doesn't get everything he wants and we can make him look bad, he'll be thrown out of office, simplistic thinking about Russian politics, that they somehow think that by arming Ukraine, they're going to get, get rid of Vladimir they're wrong, think again.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with your assessment there. Uh, last last thing I wanted to discuss with you, because we've never really talked about your economic outlook. I, I, I'm i of the belief that if the Federal Reserve continues with their promised interest rate hiking cycle, which they now updated their guidance stating that they are willing to go above 4% Fed funds rate, that, you know, this is my background. So this is kind of my expertise, but I'm, I'm very, very nervous given the, the debt load, that sits up, uh, across not just our nation, but uh, the consumers themselves. If you, if you have a Fed funds rate north of 4%, we're talking mortgage rates approaching 8%, I think you see a, a cascading a, you know, default that goes across the real estate market. You already have a bear market in stocks. We're looking very, very much like a 8 09 type, uh, you type, know, severe recession, if not depression, What's your opinion as to do you think the Fed follows through with these promised r- interest rate hikes? And if so, what does that amount to for our audience listening right now?
3: OK, so I start with the same premise as you, Clint, and Ron Paul. The Fed should not exist. True. Uh, interest <laughs> is the rent you pay to borrow money, and it should be a, 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 a reflection of supply and demand. Right. But that's not what we have today. By the way, the Supreme Court has never ruled on the constitutionality of the Fed. The several times it was within inches of ruling, they got rid of the case because they didn't want to rule on it. Uh, I believe that Justice Scalia believed it was unconstitutional, but it never got there while uh, he was on the court. If the Fed keeps up at its uh, current rate, and Jay Powell, who was a freshman, lived across the hall from me at Princeton, he was just a long-haired, wild kid. I never imagined he would end up with this kind of dictatorial power, nothing against him. I'm sure we we drank beers together at some point, but he, a non-economist, but a a lawyer uh, running the Fed is of the view that those numbers have to go high. If those numbers go up to where you believe they will and where he's threatening to send them, uh, not only will there be uh, massive uh, defaults and foreclosures in the United States, but the government itself will be paying such high interest on the money it borrows it's going to have to borrow money to pay interest on borrowed money. Only the government can do that. And that's going to make inflation even worse. So he's going to precipitate, provoke, if you will, a crisis far worse than the one he's trying to resolve. What's the best thing he can do? Close up shop.
1: <laughs> well, that, that would certainly be the best thing he could do. It would create immense pain in the in the interim. But we're in like, we're due for immense pain regardless. So, like, let's actually remedy this issue. Let's not kick the can like we've done our entire lives. Uh, I certainly hope that, uh, that smarter minds get involved here because it seems as if they're going to drive us towards a recession or a depression and then uh, migrate to central bank digital currencies. But we can discuss that at another time. I, we're tight on time. Everybody, his, uh, his info is in the description, but please go subscribe to Judging Freedom. He has some of the best guests, best commentary, best interviews, all it you'll 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 find anywhere uh thank you so much judge nap thursday everybody thank you for joining us judge thank you clint
3: all the best my friend
1: big shout out to everybody that's been with me since jump street
0: appreciate y'all